I'm Sasha DeWitt, and this is the Studio Notes Podcast, the show where I chat with artists about the real-life stuff of being an artist. Hi, and welcome to Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt, and today's guest, Gillian Lee Smith. Gillian is a Scottish painter who lives in Northumberland. And so whenever I think of your work, the word atmospheric comes to mind. And over the years, I've seen that you've painted people and landscapes. And when I first started following you on Instagram, you were painting forests and trees. Um, So what I find fascinating about your work is that when I first started studying visual arts, people talked about sort of storytelling and narratives within paintings. And I had come from this English lit background. So I only understood storytelling in the context of words on a page with the beginning, middle and end. But when I look at your paintings, for me, they really do hold story and narrative in them. And it was kind of the first time I understood uh, this is what people are talking about when they speak about sort of paintings and narrative. So of course, with the portraits, you've got the story of the person, but also thinking about your landscapes and the forests, there's this sort of real in-between and folkloric um, feelings that arise for me. And and that has really helped me sort of understand this idea of story and narrative. But what I'd love for you to talk about is sort of why you paint the way you paint. And what do you think of yourself as being translated onto the canvas? that was the best introduction ever (laughs) thank you so much like I just love that you that you see that in my work and um it is a response that I get often atmospheric is absolutely the word that comes up a lot when people are responding to my work so just everything you've said I just I just love that you've kind of I need to uh capture that as a little summary to put on my website or something anyway hello I'm Gillian um as Sasha so beautifully introduced me um so yeah I live in Northumberland I am originally from Scotland but my degree uh was in costume design I went to Edinburgh Art College and studied performance costume which was designing and making costumes um I went to art college to do painting, but for various reasons, I don't know if we'll get into that, but for various reasons, I ended up doing um, performance costume. And it's interesting because like many artists, I did a zigzag route to get to where I am now. But I honestly don't think my artwork would be what it is if I hadn't have studied performance costume. So even though I'm working two dimensionally and painting, I think everything in that, obviously it comes from me (laughs) and my lifelong experience and who I am, but a big part of it also came from the fact that I studied costume design because costume design is entirely based on story and narrative. Um, And certainly in the uh, way that I studied it, we were given a, we were given a brief and um, it would be maybe a play or a book <laughs> um, or and we would have to design costumes around it. And within that, we had absolute freedom to interpret it in any way that we wanted. So you could do, I guess, a direct, you know, if it was a historical text, we, you could do a historical um 
creation of the costumes uh, or you could kind of go completely off piece and do something that was um, entirely new and entirely different and I guess that's kind of the way that I would go I'd sort of meld lots of things together um, I'm trying to think of an example um, for my uh, final degree costumes I did Beowulf uh, which is obviously a very famous Anglo-Saxon um, text poem and I brought in, uh, I looked at Belgian fashion design from the 90s. <laughs> I looked at Victorian costumes. I looked at archaeology. I looked at fossils. Um, I looked at different interpretations of uh, dragons and different cultures. Um, so I really kind of broadened out my research in order to create costumes that I felt told a a story of Beowulf but perhaps in a, in a new way so I wanted these costumes to look as if they had been um, dug out of the earth basically <laughs> I wanted them to have very strong silhouettes and for them to look like they've been dug out of the earth uh, on an archaeological dig so that's how I kind of created the costumes with that in mind and that has translated into my painting now. So I love research, <laughs> uh, probably too much. <laughs> one, one of the things that my tutors always said at art college was, um, okay, Julian, you've spent 90% of the project time researching. <laughs> Maybe it's time for you to actually get down to designing and making the costumes. Because <laughs> I just loved going down that kind of rabbit hole um, of, of research and the, you know, creating rich layers in the, um, you know, the understanding of how I could interpret the, the story and create costumes out of that. And I, the same thing happens in my paintings, you know, um, it sounds a bit cliche, I'm creating rich, a richly layered surface in the paintings, but there's also a lot within that that goes into um, my approach, the research that I take, my perspective. Um, and yes, the landscape, but within all of that, I think that there's a, a huge part of it that just comes from my own character, my own life experience. You know, even in the woodland paintings, yes, they're about woodland. Yes, I went and sketched the woodland. But so much of what is in there is a kind of richly layered surface of me, my life, <laughs> my emotions, you know, um, the, you know, just everything that we kind of go through to get to where we are. So um, I don't know if that kind of, <laughs> that's probably like the briefest summary of the way that I can answer your question, but, you know, maybe if there's anything that comes out of that for you, we can kind of, um, uh, I don't know, talk yeah. about that. But, well, mm -hmm. I think from thinking about, you know, doing your final project in that Beowulf, which I can really see a connection with what you do nowadays as yes. well. And like, as you said, you, research is quite important to how you paint mm -hmm. as well. Um, yes. Thinking about after the Beowulf, what was sort of, what did you do then in terms of, did you go directly into painting or was there, were there a few other steps? Oh, yes, there were, there were a few other steps. I, um, I, I worked on a couple of small films after um, graduating. I was older when I went to art college. So I was um, 30, I think, oh, when I started art college. Yeah, so I'm trying to right. track back. <laughs> I'm not very good at numbers. I want to ask about as well because I was older. I was 35, and yeah. I think it is a real. You know, a lot of people feel like, "Well, I'm too old to go back." Oh but my actually, gosh, no. you're never too old. 
never no never too old so I yeah I graduated 17 years ago so yeah I was maybe 29 or and but I had a long route to even get to art college um and so within that I I guess I kind of um you know, some of the people that I studied with were able to go into jobs where they weren't being paid or like do the apprenticeship thing and I just was not in that situation I needed to earn money I'm really uh, glad you brought is... that up because it, it, it annoys me to be honest when you're working with younger people their parents are still often footing the bill um and it can be really difficult because yeah you have to be very practical from the start you don't have time yes. to be intern yeah exactly exactly and I and I did know people who would maybe um do like an awful job like work in a call center for six months save up money so that they they then could take mm-hmm. on a, an apprenticeship but, but I just didn't really I wasn't in a position um to be able to do that so I really had to kind of get to work um and I did work on a couple of films but I have uh <laughs> I have a back problem and the thing about costume design and working in films and I was working in the highlands of Scotland I was standing for 18 hours a day carrying costumes I was on my hands and knees putting shoes on actors and washing costumes overnight while everyone else was sleeping <laughs> and <laughs> and it's really in film probably in theater as well but in film it's a really de- you know physically demanding job and uh, whilst my back kind of held out <laughs> while I was doing the film as soon as I stopped it just uh, went and I just couldn't work for a while so I kind of quickly realized that this was not going to be the best option for me <laughs> um and so I had a long period actually where I couldn't work because because of my back and I started painting I just started painting you know I'd been painting before I went to art college and um the thing that I loved about costume design was there was definitely the illustration aspect to it there was a mixed media aspect so I you know even though I didn't do a painting degree I was still kind of working um in multimedia let's say so I was able to kind of really quickly kind of um, drop into doing that very naturally uh, when I wasn't able to work um, and then I, uh, I had a couple of part-time jobs and I ended up doing and um, getting a part-time job where I was working I was doing reminiscence work with older people in care homes and things it kind of happened you know sometimes things just you don't even know how they happen <laughs> I, you know, I can't even really remember the steps that kind of led up to that, but that's what I ended up doing. Um, and I loved it. So for, uh, for a number of years, that's what I was doing. I was working with community groups and going into care homes. And um, it was really fun because I'd made, we made up uh, reminiscence boxes that had different. So again, this is interesting, this storytelling theme, right? Because um, I would make, we'd make up themed boxes. So there would be one on childhood. There would be one on domestic life. There would be one, you know, there would just be all these themed boxes on different parts of people's lives. And I was working with people who had dementia and Alzheimer. So, and you would take these boxes into the care homes and, um, more often than not the people would say well I don't have anything interesting I haven't lived an interesting life I don't have anything to share or anything to say and I would use music as well um, and um, nursery rhymes and poems and things and you put a piece of music on and immediately people start singing if it's something you know even when they have quite far into dementia and Alzheimer's they recognize it and they start singing um, 
And all of a sudden people start giving these insights into their lives, the lives that they felt were not interesting enough that they had anything to say about them. And then the next person were like, oh my gosh, well, I had that or I did that, you know, and you'd bring out an object that they probably hadn't seen for 40 years. You know, it'd be like an old mint grinder that you put on the side of the <laughs> counter of the kitchen. And something as simple as an object would um, just get people, you know, they'd start talking about that but then they talk about oh so when I would go to the you know the grocers they used to put the butter in paper and you know it's just it was that so it's so funny because but even that job that in one sense seems so distant from my costume degree and so distant from what I'm doing now is absolutely relevant and has also played its part in the work that I'm doing now um so that's kind of uh, I basically was doing that for a few years and whilst I was doing that I started to create online courses um, and I was doing exhibitions and working with galleries so it got to a point a few years ago where I was able to you know I love that work but it was time to kind of um, stop and sort of go full-time as an artist with um, the support of the other work that I do uh, that kind of brings in the income but it definitely played a big part in, in what I'm doing because of the storytelling so yeah it was wonderful yeah I love that journey I can see how that would absolutely feed into what you're doing now and that sort of storytelling and and just seeing like uh, I love that you know working with people who think they haven't done anything in life and just living is enough really because yes. just by living you are doing stuff and yeah so that's very interesting to, to bring the stories out in them so then from that, did you, and you said you started doing courses and you started painting and became a full-time artist. So what does full-time artist look like um, at that point? Um, at that point, yeah, it was literally, I, uh, so this was maybe, gosh, this, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or something. So I, I didn't know that e-courses was a thing. I didn't know that online courses was a thing. I did a couple of online courses, but I don't think it was really a thing in the UK. Um, I think I got in there quite quick and starting to create online courses in the UK. I could be wrong in that, but, you know, this was sort of 10, 11 years ago. Um, and I had done a couple of online courses in America and that was actually, uh, sorry, the, the artist was in America. <laughs> um, and that was really the trigger to get me back into painting because I knew I wanted to paint, but I didn't know how to restart that process or, you know, how do I begin? Um, as many of us, I can, when we've had that gap. Um, so I, yeah, so I did a couple of online courses and then people started saying to me, can, why don't you do an online course? So again, it was really something that I hadn't even thought of doing, but people really encouraged me. Um, so I, uh, so I launched my first online course and then off the back of that, another one and another one. So that's really, um, it was that that enabled me to then become a full-time artist so I have that uh, you know it's kind of a three-strand thing I have my online courses uh, I mentor other artists and then I obviously have my own art practice um, and I have a studio and I exhibit through galleries and exhibitions and things so that's what my art practice that's what my full-time art practice looks like now I guess with those things yeah. And when you started back painting did you start by painting the portraits or were you doing landscapes or what were you doing oh, at that point? 
Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. The landscapes did not happen until I moved to Northumberland seven years ago. So before that, I was still very much focused on people. Um, I My work, I guess you would say, I have the woodland work that uh, maybe I can talk about that a little bit, but that was uh, that came out of the pandemic, basically. Um, but my work before that, and even before the landscapes, was kind of maritime based, based in maritime history. Um, I read a book <laughs> called In the Heart of the Sea, which was about the uh, whaling uh, industry in Nantucket Island. And it just kind of... Uh, obviously completely against whaling or any harm to any animals but there was something about the stories within that that just uh, kind of lit a fire inside of me really and I just got very interested in um, the whaling and fishing communities and uh, it kind of started there and then I kind of uh, I'm from the east coast of Scotland so very you know a little bit inland but my mother is from uh, a fishing town um, and I got very interested in the east coast of Scotland fishing industries and, of course, now the north of England, um, because that's where I live. Um, but I, I just had this. Um, I was just very inspired by the idea of the men going off to sea in the communities and it was the women who were left behind and obviously there's a great sadness to that but actually the women and uh, in Nantaka Island it was really the women who kind of ran the roost you know they they were the heart of the community they uh, led the community uh, while you know there was obviously the older generations of men but the women had to be incredibly strong whilst the men were away at sea and they were away at sea for two or three years um, and the thing that I find funny about that is I bet when the men came back like after a week they were just like oh my gosh will you just go away again <laughs> you're sort of used to like almost kind of living your own life for all those years and then your husband comes back and I can just imagine that that would be a really interesting dynamic that um so I just got very interested in this and then obviously the sadness of not knowing if your husband was going to come home because it was a very you know it is a very dangerous industry and it's the same uh here the fishing industry is a, you know I guess one of the most dangerous jobs that you can have um so there's an uncertainty in that there's hope in that there's really strong connections of the community there's folklore within that um just again it's like all these layers of things that I just find incredibly interesting so I created this body of work called we all cast shadows which was it wasn't set in any particular place but it was about my feelings about um fishing communities the women and children left behind and kind of illustrating that in some way and I incorporated landscapes of you know harbors and things into the, in to that work and interestingly after creating that body of work I also created a book of it and I gifted my mum the book and she told me that my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother were herring <laughs> that there's a there was a herring fishing industry that went round the coast of Scotland and England following the herring um, and my great-grandfather and great-grandmother had been part of that and I my mum says I 
she told me when I was a kid, but I definitely didn't have any conscious awareness of that. You know, if she told me, I'd completely forgotten about it. So um, I think serendipity comes quite up quite a lot in I guess, my journey of being an artist. Um, so in a way, that was great because then it gave me a kind of place, right? So I'd been creating this body of work that was about my idea of a fish, fishing community in a general area. But then it gave me this idea of a specific place. Um, and so I was incorporating landscapes within that, but it was women and children um, in harbour situations or, you know, almost like they were waiting for the men to come home. So that was what that body of work was around. And then I moved to Northumberland um, seven, almost eight years ago. And the landscape here is just incredible like we have so many castles uh you know it's, it's a really varied landscape it's incredibly rugged uh in places um there's valleys and uh, as I say castles and woodland and obviously it's on the coast so we do have lots of fishing villages here uh, very tiny fishing villages um but I just I kind of overnight stopped painting people <laughs> because I got so kind of enamored with the landscape here um and but also the harbor so I got very interested in this idea of the edge between land and sea and the fact that we've built these structures you know fishing villages harbor walls uh that you know that kind of sit on that edge and they're man-made and yet the harbors around here just you just you can imagine that they've just always been there you know they're you know a few hundred years old but they just look timeless they just look like they just belong in the landscape so so often when we build things as humans it can look <laughs> just like it doesn't belong right it just doesn't sit into the landscape very well but there's something about harbors that I just feel they just belong there and they just look right and they feel right and there are special places for me to go um so I started painting a lot of harbors and I got very interested in the harbor walls and the marks of the weather on the harbor walls um so funny because one of the things that I realized within that was I never painted the boats in the harbor uh which is a, such a peculiar thing because that's what they're for, right? They're there to, uh, har you know, harbour the boats before they go out to sea and when they return. And I, and it wasn't a conscious thing, but I just was very interested in the texture of the walls, the um, very geometric shapes of the harbour walls, like sat against the landscape and the seascape, um, the ropes and the ladders, and they're just so beautiful to me, but I wasn't painting the boats. Um, and I don't really know why I've never discussed I've never kind of analyzed this probably just because some... you don't want to paint boats you're like oh, it's too structurally like challenging well I mean it's so interesting that you say that because um, I don't think it was that because then I started painting boats and ships out at sea so it kind of went from the harbors to me then painting these really stormy um, you know kind of shipwrecked uh you know mm. uh ships at sea so I just wasn't painting them in the harbor but I was painting them at sea I'm sure there's some deep psychological meaning behind that but I well, but even if I just think about your first works which were sort of the women and children at home and the men are mm. at sea so it kind of makes sense that the boats yes. are not in the harbor that they are out at sea so I see some links mm. between those two absolutely yeah so it's probably more simple than I think <laughs> I'm kind of thinking is there some like you know deep emotional reason why and yes exactly it's just, 
but there's always this sense of um peril um my uh, the recent paintings that I was doing based on that there would be like a ship in peril at sea and then then it'd be a little boat that would be going out to save it um and I would sort of name the paintings an answer from the shore or uh, one that um, I painted this year was called All Is Not Lost. So it's this idea that there is this ship in peril, this, you know, probably a big ship and there's people on there and it's really awful. But there's this little tiny boat <laughs> that is going out to, you know, do the best they can to rescue these people. And um, so I think there's definitely something in that as well. Uh, yeah, so it's almost, again, it's that layers thing. It's, you know, it's all the same subject, but I'm constantly trying to find different ways into that subject or different perspectives or tell the story in different ways. I guess that's how I could explain it, but it's never a conscious thing. It's really, uh, it, it just feels like a gradual intuitive evolution of my work that I never kind of make, you know, the, it, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't even say that I would really know where one thing ended and the next started it's such a kind you know it just evolves um gradually and it's always in, uh, evolving um and I think you know because some people might look at my work and kind of say oh one minute you're painting people the next minute you're painting buildings and the next minute you're painting woodland the next minute you're painting ships and harbors but to me there is a very distinct thread that connects everything together and I loved what your uh, the last uh, podcast the podcast that I listened to with uh, she kind of said curious she kept saying this word curiosity curiosity and I think that's just what it is about for me is a, 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 it's a journey that's a very cliched word but it's a journey <laughs> and I'm just curious and I'm just trying to uh, I know what I want to do I know what I'm interested in I know what I'm curious about and I'm just trying to um, I just really enjoy and I get very excited by finding different ways of approaching a subject that is really quite big but in the same time quite you know at the same time quite small um, and I just love kind of exploring it in different ways so I really love that because I think and maybe why I wanted to come in on this angle today with you is because um you know, subject matter is something that I struggle with because I think as well, because I came from this illustration background where really a good illustrator is going to have a wide variety of subject matter that they can deal mm -hmm. with because you don't know what a client might ask you to draw or, um, you know. So, so coming into painting, I have really struggled with, you know, trying to not, you know, I keep thinking, oh, I'm jumping around or, you know, and there's that that, uh, like you say, you've done people, you've done seascapes, you've done landscapes, you've done the forest, but actually, and I've, I've never thought of you as jumping around because I can see a thread that goes all the way through all of your work. To me, when mm -hmm. I look at it, it looks very cohesive. Um, whereas definitely when I look at my stuff, it's like vultures one day, flowers the next. So, so oh I guess I'm gosh, very I interested that in that sort of like, you know, the subject matter and, and how you've and it's not even deciding, it's sort of these things, I think through time, you just become, this is what I'm interested in, mm -hmm. and this is what I'm exploring, and to mm -hmm. see how you're exploring that sort of area that you're in, so Northumberland, but as mm -hmm. well, you know, looking at the stories that are in that area that are to do with the sea and fishing, because that's very much the community that's there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, I, yes, because interestingly, I, you know, I created a 
program called Building a Body of Work because I uh, I had been teaching the online courses that were very maybe technique or subject based and I'm going to show you how to paint a face using these materials you know um, which I, I really enjoyed and I really love working with the people who study on these courses that way but I guess the thing that I saw a gap with was okay so what do people do next how do they then start uh, sinking into their own work and finding what they're interested in and how they're going to create that how they're going to represent that uh, how that that work is going to feel even in the creation of it and for the people who look at it and um, this is something that I'm just incredibly interested in and I think that's uh, I just realized that I kind of inherently knew all of this because I could really feel that that was present in my own work and I guess I wanted to kind of share that and say, you can do this too. You can find this deep, you can, you know, find this deep immersion into something that you're incredibly interested in and create artwork out of it in your own way. Um, so that's, that's why I created that program. But um, obviously in whatever we do, we're the kind of common denominator, right? We're the, the thing that pulls everything that we are um you know that we're creating together and um I know that in my own work there's a darkness to it you know in the color palette but also I think there's um uh maybe a melancholic feeling to it often uh, and I it's so funny because I did I, I met someone a few years ago who'd, who'd known my work for a while before we met and she said that uh before she met me, she thought I was going to be really miserable. <laughs> that isn't the that isn't the word she used. I won't say the words that she used, but she thought it was going to be a really... goth figure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I'm very serious. I think I'm very thoughtful. Uh, I think there is a melancholic side to me, um, but there's a very curious side to me. There's there. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but there's a very richly layered. Uh, surface as, as there is in all of us but I think I want to bring that into my artwork right I want there to be uh, for you to be able to one of my favorite things that people say about my paintings that or not everybody but the people who like them say is that I could look at your work every day and see something different mm. in it every time I looked at it and that's one of my favorite comments ever because that's what I'm trying to um bring into my work that is so richly layered that you're not it's not a surface thing that you're going to catch capture everything in in 30 seconds that you're going to come to it and maybe see different things I get people that say they see faces in my woodland paintings or figures <laughs> in my woodland paintings and I love that too <clears throat> so yeah sorry I've forgotten what your question was but uh, <laughs> you know it's just like it's just, I think it's you know that's just what I'm always kind of trying to uh, bring to my work so yeah it's really interesting as well to hear about because we were I think we were discussing you know your work in a wider context you know the the themes that go through all of it and then thinking about um so when you create these things, and and we might get in a little bit to talking about the commercial because you support yourself as well. And I know it's something that I, I like about you as an artist is that you do talk about quite openly, like, you know, I'm doing this to support myself. Mm -hmm. So discussing a little bit about commercial viability and painting what you want, because that's where I think um, a lot of where, you know, when you started, you're, you're painting what you want, but then also realizing 
well, how, you know, is this stuff sellable? Do I even need to be thinking about that? So what yeah. are some of your thoughts around that area? Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> um, I, so I very, very quickly knew that I did not want to be when people think of a full-time artist, they think that an artist is painting all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever their practice is, sculpting, drawing, whatever. The, the vision of a full-time artist is someone who dedicates their entire week <laughs> and every day to creating their work. Um, and I don't think I know one single person who does that. I don't. But, you know, if you're not an artist, that's the illusion that we have, right? Um, and I very, very quickly knew that I even if that was a possibility, that is not what I wanted to do because my work first and foremost <laughs> and overridingly, is that word, has to come from me and satisfy me and be an honest representation of who I am, what I believe my emotions, my feelings, my <laughs> life story. And that is, I was going to say that is not a sellable thing. I don't know that that's a sellable thing, right? And I don't know that you can depend on selling your, I'm, I'm sure I'm, there obviously will be people who, who can do this. Like, we, you know, all the artists that we admire, <laughs> you know, the Tracy Emmons, like whatever, you know, they, they, uh, they have um, taken that journey that enables them to do that. But I never wanted to be in a position where I was dependent on my art solely for my income because I knew that the type of person that I am, I would eventually... I say eventually but very quickly become crippled by that mm -hmm. that I would start to think okay is this are people going to like this painting am I going to be able to sell it if I don't sell it what am I going to do that you know and then I just knew and I guess I knew because of the person I am but also because I'd seen other artists this happening to other artists that you start to change the way that you work um, because you start to worry if it's going to sell or not. And I remember a gallery that I worked with telling me that one of their like long-term stable artists had um, started to become incredibly anxious about his work. And uh, he was, you know, he'd sold a lot of work, but um, he just got to the point where he was so stressed about it and was starting to, is this sky the right blue? <laughs> Are people going to like it? Is this going to fit in their homes? You well, know? exactly. I found oh. myself yesterday painting and thinking, is this going to match somebody's living room? And then I was like, why am I thinking about somebody's living room when there's a myriad of people, a load of different living rooms, and I cannot worry about that? Yeah. Yes, it is so true. And I think if you start to, this is just my philosophy, and I think, you know, that everybody will think differently and uniquely about this, but um if you start to try and please everybody <laughs> or or make work that will please everybody or a great number of people, then you lose or you can lose the uniqueness of your work. You, first of all, you can lose the uniqueness of your work. You can lose the passion for your work. Um, you can forget what you're creating and why you're creating it very easily. And you can just lose yourself within that. And I have really... Um, 
I guess I just have this very strong belief that I can only create artwork that as I said you know like primarily comes from me and is for me and in that I'm thinking I always have this thing in my head I couldn't give two hoots what anyone else thinks of it I, I have to think like I don't care if anybody else likes it I'm because that's just the only way that I can create now the wonderful side effect of that I think is that so I do art fairs so I there's an art fair that I've been at a couple of years and there will be many people at that art fair that will just not even look at my work mm. and walk by it and they you know they don't give it a second glance there will be people who I can hear their comments as they're walking by it yep. you know <laughs> uh, and and uh, you know I kind of get a little bit of a kick about that but then you I will get the person who will stand in front of my work and I had uh, the last two art fairs that I've done I've had a big maritime painting sort of shipwreck painting two different paintings I should say um, and the first year there was a man who stood there for about 10 minutes and he came back three times and he didn't say a word and he just stood in front of that painting and I always like to let people just look at the art without me <laughs> mm. sticking my aura in as it were <laughs> you know but he kept coming back and and the, and and he would just stand there silently. Um, and this was, I was trying to think, was this, this was, this was just before the pandemic. So he wasn't wearing a mask. That's right. And, 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 that, and he just said something to me that was just, he was just like, it's amazing. And he, I can't afford to buy it, but it's amazing. And I just, I, it just had, you know, like gets me in the heart you know and then the last art fair there was a man standing again and we were all wearing masks at that point um so it took me a little while to recognize him but it was the same man looking at you know the, another painting that I'd created with the same reaction so this was one person and um his reaction just meant the world to me you know he didn't even have to really say anything it was just the fact that he kept coming back to look and he spent time with the painting and I don't think that would have happened I don't know that that would have happened if I had been creating work with the mindset of this has to sell this has to sell you know um and that's really tough when your income does come from your artwork you know as you say I do talk about this openly um and this is why this is why I worked my part time job for a good few years while I was creating, um, because I, it was almost like if I work and earn a living in other ways, then I have the luxury, or I can indulge, and it is an indulgence. I see it as, but in a good way. I see that as a yes. really positive thing. I can indulge in creating the work that has real deep meaning for me and first and foremost resonates with me and then if that resonates with other people I love that word resonates I use it all the time I should have a swear box for it it's like the perfect word for what I I get for the, I guess what I would like the impact of my work to have I would love for my work to resonate with people and if it's only a handful of people then to me that uh, but they it resonates with them deeply and they have that reaction then that's so much more meaningful to me than if you know I was going to say if someone if 100 people were trying to buy it no that would be great too <laughs> exactly it's like we're torn because we really want to make money and we actually do want our stuff to sell 
but we want it to be meaningful and deep yeah exactly and it's so funny because the kind of flip side to that or the the other side effect of that is that sometimes I can find it really hard to um sell my paintings Mm. you know (laughs) because I've created something that like well we all we're all doing that we're putting our heart and soul into our work and um and my husband's very good because he'll kind of say to me out of every and I don't really create collections, but uh, or, you know, I, I guess I create series of work or bodies of work. But he says you should create, keep a, a painting out of every grouping that you create. Um, and he's very good at that. And I'm like, no, I need to sell it. I need to sell it. But the need to sell comes after the work is created. Mm-hmm. Right. After I'm happy with it, after I've said what I want to say with it, after I've connected with it and create, connected with the process of creating it so Mm. yeah I think it's interesting as well with my own work I've discovered that the more I'm happy with the work with like how I made it or the things that are very personal to me I actually reach a point where I don't care if it sells because oh right if it sells great I Mm. want it to sell but if it doesn't Mm. I like it so much and there's something so personal in it that I'm Mm. like oh it's okay I'll, I'll keep looking at this for a while so mm. I found that that has actually helped me let go a little bit. Yeah. That feeling after like an open studios of certain things haven't sold, instead of feeling mm. really down, it's like, well, but I, I, I learned something while I was making this. It's very valuable to me. So therefore it no longer matters in some yeah. ways. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that, definitely. And I guess, I, yeah, I kind of feel similarly. Um, I, you know, again, it's just not being dependent on, on that process and and just uh trying to make sure that I have other um you know avenues <laughs> to my practice where mm. you know I'm not dependent on that work selling and then I get to enjoy it a little bit longer you know and like um, you said you you do the teaching you do the mentoring and can mm. uh, just like quickly as thinking about because I know that you recently had a solo show did you say you'd had a solo show yeah I have a solo show at the moment yeah <laughs> at the moment yeah. So I'm interested sort of in the, how did you go about organizing that? Did somebody ask you to do a solo show or did you decide to do a solo show? Because that's sort of something that people hear about, like I've got a solo show, but I know nothing about what does that mean? Yeah, Um, I I mean, this has been very low key and um, uh, I have to say it's not been the best experience (laughs) I've had. I have had a solo show before and this is, uh, so it's it's a little bit difficult to talk about at the moment because it's kind of fresh. Um, this was something that was organised before the pandemic, and then there was a bit ah. of a breakdown in communication um, because obviously, uh, so it's in a maritime centre, which uh, is is <laughs> sounds like the absolute perfect uh, venue for my work. Um, it's a small maritime centre, quite close to where I live. They were closed for a long time in the pandemic and I knew they were reorganizing their exhibition so mine was supposed to happen in 2021 and um there was a little bit of a um, how shall I say this I found out at the very last minute they they had organized a date for my show uh and (laughs) when I should have known months before let's just say I don't want to say too much about it but yeah, it's fine. Uh, it, it came across it, it came uh, along in not in not the best of circumstances um and if I had known that it was going to happen I would have been creating maritime based work for mm. it specifically but I hadn't really been doing a lot of that the last couple of years I've done uh, a few paintings but certainly not enough for a solo show uh, that would have been in a maritime centre. I've been, um, because of the pandemic, I've been creating this work 
um, that was more woodland based. So yeah, so anyway, so this this solo show is in a maritime centre. It's just a very small museum uh, with a community room. And as I say, they uh, approached me. Where I live is very rural. Um, there's not actually, it's, it's kind of difficult, a bit challenging because there aren't actually that many opportunities for exhibitions around here. There's not many spaces, there's not many venues. Um, at the moment, I'm just about to investigate uh, a solo show in another museum uh, a friend of mine has a solo show there at the moment it's a beautiful space um, and they've done an amazing job of it so <laughs> in a way I'd probably it's easier for me to talk about that we'll talk about like that to... because that's you know I'm more uh, so interested this... in maybe not specifically just one solo show but like solo shows in general like how do people go about arranging them because I think one of the barriers that I've always had with art is because I had no knowledge whatsoever of any of this. I mean, nobody does, I guess. And so yeah. just by talking about like, oh, okay, well, this is how I found out about how to do a solo show is quite yeah. interesting. Oh, well, one of the main things that I would say about that then is we, we, uh, we can assume that a solo show has to be in a gallery for that. I mean, that's probably the main thing that I would say about it. And it absolutely doesn't. Uh, I have had a solo show in a gallery before, a commercial gallery, um, uh, but it doesn't have to be in a gallery. There are other ways to do it. So for example, I have the show in the museum. My friend has a show in another museum. So museums, if they have the space for it, can be a great way of doing an exhibition. Um, I'm just about to get together with a, a group of artists who I know really well around here to see if there's other ways that we could have exhibitions, um, maybe taking over. And this, is, this isn't something that we've um, organised yet. We're just at the very, very beginning of talking about it. But we can really see the possibilities of taking over, for example, an abandoned building or an unused building mm. and having a solo show. Um, so I'm just very excited and but very uh, new to the idea that there are other options out there that you can actually not be dependent on somebody else to organize your solo show or even approach you about doing a solo show, but we can actually be very proactive and imaginative about the possibilities for organizing our own exhibitions. Um, and that, that idea just really excites me, you know, that there's, we all know there's tons of abandoned buildings around the UK, you know, not maybe not abandoned, but unused buildings, let's say, maybe they're it's like their own, somebody looking after them. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, I just love the, the idea of having exhibitions in unusual spaces mm. and spaces. And this is something that I kind of talk to my mentees about, you know, to actually think about uh, the subject and theme of your work and to think, well, OK, is a gallery even the best way of showing that? You know, <laughs> is, is that the best way of showing it? Maybe there could be, you know, with my work, it, it, I don't know, it could be, I don't know, it, it could be anything, it could be anywhere, but you know, like an, a, a, a building that's associated with a fishing industry or something, um, or, you know, for example, here we have the lifeboat service, you know, maybe they have a building that I could have host an exhibition in. Um, my one of my mentees is an environmental psychologist so she she wasn't and she's now creating this work that is all about um, the way our environment impacts 
our us as individuals and the way we impact our environment so I've been talking to her about is there a space where this work could be exhibited that kind of tells a story about that theme you know that uh, just could be you know it's just I just love the idea of approaching where your work is going to go with the same imagination and uh, ambition and um, awareness or, or uh, desire to open up possibilities as you do in creating your own artwork and you know for you I just wonder what that could be you know you've got these beautiful absolutely beautiful drawings and paintings of animals and birds and is you know where could where would that work belong where would it, it just be really set off to its best potential and it doesn't have to be a gallery I don't think so and I think it's a really powerful idea as well, because although clearly galleries bring value, but but mm. there's something very powerful in not thinking that I need to sit around and wait for someone to come to me, but I can paint whatever I want and mm. <laughs> then I can find a good place to mm. exhibit it, you know, and so I can take control of that. And I like having control as well. Don't get me wrong. If somebody shows up and says, hey, we'd love to do oh, it, I'd be all for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But I do yeah. find it quite, you know, powerful in order to say, yeah, I can do this myself as well. And and I love that. Again, we are creative people, so we're thinking creatively. So that sort of thinking imaginatively about, well, where can I host this? That's quite exciting as well. What's that next yeah. step for a body of work that I've created? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm talking, I was mentioned the museum that my friend is exhibiting in at the moment. And museums could be a really great option because museums in general, for example, the museums that we have around here are quite small. They have an exhibition that's set that doesn't change very much. You know, the, the, they, they have what they have. They display it the way they display it. But how do they bring new people into that space when the, you know, the because uh, the museum that I'm thinking of is um, about the history of the town that the museum is in and that exhibition isn't going to change that is you know they have the stuff so how so I think museums for example I know that the curator or uh, director of this museum is uh, my friend's exhibition is the first one they've had there but it's been very proactive about how can we change the space have new work in there that's going to um encourage new people to come into the museum not just new people but people who've been here before as well so I just think that you know is a, is a great option and I think that people who are in charge of these places are starting to really kind of consider how can we do things differently how can we um, bring new people in how can we change the, the feeling of the space by having something new and dynamic and exciting in there that um, you know is going to just yeah just do that kind of change the atmosphere of the place I suppose in a really interesting way um so I know that you know so for example this director is actively looking for more artists to exhibit in that space and so yes people will find you but I think um yeah it's kind of up to us as well to be seeking these opportunities and making contact with the people who you know could could offer those op opportunities to us so it's definitely a two-way thing that's so wonderful to hear. So I wanted to say thank you so much for oh. um, interviewing with me today. And thank before you. we go, I do want you to speak a little bit more about your courses and your mentoring, um, mm -hmm. because I know that you have like some online courses that are sort of rolling that people can um, study at any time. Yes. I know sometimes you do them 
like live, maybe live online. Yeah. I think you just recently did a landscape one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to speak a little bit more about the, your courses? Because they always look, they look amazing. So anybody oh, out there, you. go check them out. They look amazing. Thank you so much. So yeah, so the first um, online course that I created was called Unearthed, Gather, Create. And that was almost like the Swiss army knife of artwork. <laughs> Every subject, lots of different media, um, lots of different approaches. So, um, but off the back of that, I created other ones. So I have an e-course that's uh, dedicated to drawing. I love drawing. Drawing is always a key part of my practice. I have a portraits online course. And then I, um, just before the pandemic, I did gathering the landscape. So I that course I did before the pandemic, but because it was at that tricky time, I decided to do another live version of that just this autumn. Um, uh, so that's uh, basically going out and get exactly what it says, gathering the landscape. <laughs> so it's really dedicated to the idea of going out sketching, not uh, necessarily with the idea that you then have to bring the work back and create something out of it but purely as a way of getting out into the landscape and enjoying our beautiful countryside our beautiful environment that we have here and off the back of that I'm probably going to be creating a new e-course in the spring uh, which is going to be based on the woodland because uh, that's something that's kind of become very dear to my heart and then um, so those are courses that you can study at any time sign up for and study at your own pace and then I guess my signature program is one called building a body of work and that's a very intensive nine ten month program um, which is really kind of mentoring and it is uh, there's no instructional videos in it <laughs> people kind of, I kind of get a little bit shocked with that but no it's absolutely taking an artist from I have no idea what I want to create and how I want to create it I can paint I can draw but what's my next step into a nine-month process of beginning to create your own body of work cohesive meaningful body of work and off the back of that, I started to get people who'd done that course and then wanted ongoing mentoring. So I have done, so I now mentor individual artists, um, all of whom have done that program. So that I've done for four or five years now. And actually, I'm going to be changing the way that I do that. And that's going to become a self-study sign up at any time program. But then people can sign up for mentoring sessions with me within that so yeah so that's that's what I do <laughs> yeah that sounds wonderful and Thank you. and how about really quickly as well what sure. is what are what's the next thing you're going to do sort of painting wise or or where are you heading because I know you also have open studios at the moment so what are your thoughts around like what's your oh. next next yeah so thing. I'm really lucky to be in a in a building with other artists um and we're having an open studios event this weekend uh which is great because we've got a really um very supportive community around us who kind of love coming and seeing what we do I am going into the next phase of it's almost like phase two of we all cast shadows the work that I did a few years ago um I'm creating a body of work that is called the lost and left behind and is about a specific fishing disaster that happened in 1881 in Scotland. It was the biggest uh, storm that Scotland had seen. It was the biggest fishing disaster with the biggest loss of life um, in Scotland. And I'm creating a body of work around that. Um, so I'm deep in research. <laughs> 90% research, 10% clamoring to get the work done at the end of it. Um, 
but but that's that's my next big project and interestingly off the back of what we were saying about where do you you know you create work where do you show it what do you do solo show I am using that project as a real opportunity to investigate a more unusual way of showing my work so I have ideas of creating larger scale work um, that maybe would not be suitable for a a commercial gallery but that I want to be much more imaginative about how I display and share that work so that's that's my next my current and uh, ongoing big project that I'm working on I love it I really look forward to seeing where it goes and I'm going to look forward to seeing it when it's finished I don't know that anything's ever finished but when it's ready to be exhibited or It's already two years in progress and I've, I've barely started creating the work. So I always think I have this uh, this big gap between me thinking of an idea and a plan to do something and then two years before it even really starts coming together. So I'm a slow worker in that in that sense. But but I think that's good to hear because I think a lot of people face that, you know, it's like, oh, I have this idea and it's taking me 10 years to, to finally get it out there that's okay that's that's life it is it's real okay. life isn't it? yeah it's I'm a ruminator I ruminate over things and like ruminate I, you know, and research <laughs> yes that's it. that's it that's my passion in life so yeah yeah all right well thank you so much for being here today thank you for inviting me it's been really and I'll nice put all the links oh yeah I'll put all the links in the um in the show notes so people can find you so mm-hmm. thank you so much yeah thank you Sasha Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt, and guest Jillian Lee Smith. I love the way that narrative and atmosphere permeate her paintings and drawings. To find out more about her, her work, and her courses, you can click the links below. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps others to find us. And of course, thank you so much for listening to Studio Notes with me, Sasha DeWitt. Big shout out to the Arts Council who have given funding for this podcast as part of my DYCP grant. So thank you.